Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. In past episodes, I've covered how oak trees provide resources vital to the production of wine. Would you be at all surprised if I said I'm about to do it again? Before, I talked about how oak wood is used in the practice of cooperage, or barrel making, especially when it comes to aging alcohol like wine and bourbon in casks. But there's another part of the process that relies on these trees, and that is with the cork that stoppers these bottles. In fact, all cork material comes from a species of tree known as the cork oak, For as long as bottles have needed to be closed, the cork oak has provided humans with the perfect material to do so. And the use of cork goes so much further than just that. So let's explore how this cork material is made, as well as what this tree does for its surrounding ecosystem. I've talked about oaks before, but I'm not going to make you go listen to those other episodes to understand this one. Let's refresh ourselves on what these trees are. Oak trees are members of the genus Quercus, and consist of around 500 different species around the world. The highest concentration of oak diversity is in China, Mexico, and the United States. Oaks belong to the overall oak family, Phagaceae. This family is also home to beeches, who often claim the actual family name, as well as chestnuts. Our cork oak, known scientifically as Quercus suber, can be found growing around the western Mediterranean basin. This includes the Iberian Peninsula, southern France, western Italy, and across the north coast of Africa. The highest concentration of cork oak forests is in western Spain and Portugal. In past episodes, I've spent some time talking about how the oak group is genetically sectioned off, but the cork oak is not in the same section as any other species I've mentioned, so it's not really worth getting into. Suffice it to say that its closest relatives are similar oaks found in Europe and Asia, like the holm oak and the golden oak of Cyprus. Overall, the cork oak's physical characteristics align with the red oaks native to North America. The leaves are prickly, but lack the lobes that are identifiable on more familiar oak species. Similar to holly leaves, they are oval-shaped, with spiny points along the edges. These leaves are also evergreen, so they'll stay on all year round and have physical features suited for water retention, like a leathery texture and a hairy underside. Despite being evergreen, cork oaks do undergo a period of winter dormancy where they stop growing. For whatever reason, the leaves decide to just tough it out. And that's about what any of us would expect from these hardy, stubborn oaks. Cork oak acorns are very similar to most red oak acorns. They take two seasons to mature and are very bitter to the taste, but are a good food source for both wild animals and domestic livestock. Oh, and the flowers are these dangly green things that we call catkins. They aren't showy, so most don't really pay them any mind. But among all this, where does the cork come from? Cork as we know it is the inner bark layer of the cork oak. If you were to peel away the outer bark, it's the layer between that and the actual wood of the tree. It is naturally this weird, porous, spongy stuff that scientists call suberin, after the tree's name, Quercus suber. 
These trees grow that cork layer because the Iberian Peninsula where they grow are prone to frequent light fires, and this adaptation helps insulate the tree from fire damage. Other trees that share the forest with the cork oak have their own methods of self-defense against fire. Some are very good at resprouting damaged parts, others wait to release their seeds until the area sees fire activity and takes that time to grow the next generation. But speaking of sharing the forest, the cork oak is a central feature of the whole forest type that calls it home. It lives alongside related oaks like the holm oak, as well as pines, olive trees, and more, but the ecosystem is commonly known as the cork oak forest. These cork oak forests are biodiversity hotspots. So many different animals love these places. 95% of Portugal's land mammals can be found in cork oak forests. Among them are some fascinating endangered species like the Iberian lynx, which has seen a sharp decline in population alongside a reduction in wild rabbit numbers. Overall, 28 different sensitive animal species are protected in these hallowed groves. Here's the part where I usually say, oh no, but look how we're killing them. We're actually not. The use of cork oak as a resource actually encourages these forests to continue to thrive and serve as sanctuaries. We don't have to be ashamed of how we're using the land this time, so let's get excited to learn about how this natural resource serves humans as well. The cork material harvested from this oak tree has been used by humans for thousands of years. The oldest evidence we have of its use is of fishing tackle, likely due to its ability to float on water, way back in 3000 BCE. Despite being a tree growing pretty far west compared to early civilizations, it made its way around the known world, seeing use in far-off lands like Egypt, Persia, Babylon, and even China. This latter civilization does have its own cork oak species, though. Usually when I mention trees in the early world, it's because they produced food. This is a fun change of pace to see a tree being useful for something other than food or wood. And its uses were truly abundant. Ancient Rome was known to use cork as roofing material, as well as padding on the soles of shoes. By this time, it was also used as a stopper for casks and bottles, but that wasn't always its primary use. Great thinkers of the time made extensive reference to the cork oak's wonderful properties. The Greek father of botany, Theophrastus, marveled about how it's the only tree that can so easily regrow its bark. I'll get into how that works a little bit later, but yeah, that's how cork is such an accessible resource. And the Roman philosopher Pliny the Elder was in such awe of the cork material that he considered the tree to be a holy blessing. What is it about cork that makes it such a good material? For starters, cork is incredibly elastic. It can be compressed to half its size without losing its flexibility. This is part of what makes it so useful as a stopper, as it can be squeezed into those narrow bottle and cask openings and create an incredibly tight seal. Cork is also incredibly lightweight. The weight of a material is a vital piece of information when it comes to how easily it can be used and transported or traded. Cork is also a terrific insulator for temperature and sound as well as both liquids and gases. It keeps liquid in and harmful gases out, but also serves as noise-canceling material in the modern day. 
Cork is also decay resistant, so it can last a while without showing any wear from constant exposure to liquid or oxidation. Because there is such a concentration of cork oak forests in Portugal, it's that country where we see a ton of oak production both now and throughout history. The nation actually passed environmental protection legislation to protect cork oak trees and forests as far back as 1209. That is easily the first example of laws focused around conservation for the sake of conservation. And it's a good thing these trees are protected, because cork isn't just a valuable resource, this material has been at the center of multiple instances of scientific advancement. In 1665, the scientist Robert Hooke invented the first microscope to view the never-before-seen tiny world. The first thing he looked at was cork, and discovered that the material was, at a base level, made up of tiny connected chambers that he called cells. That is how cells were discovered. And in the 1800s, growers tried planting cork oak all over the world in order to expand production of its resource. So many mines now focused on cork production led to the industrialization of the cork making process and helped push forward advances in the mechanization of resource production in general. But though the production process has been mostly mechanized, the harvest of cork oak from the tree is still done by hand. Let's take a look at how that collection works. Remember, cork is the inner bark layer of this oak tree. The trees are allowed to grow for 25 years until their first harvest, where the outer bark layer is peeled off and the inner bark slash cork layer is removed and collected. The fascinating thing about these trees is that this doesn't destroy them. They easily grow their bark right back, meaning a single tree can be harvested over and over again. From the age of 25, the bark can be harvested and then regrow itself at least a dozen times and the tree itself can live to be 200 years old. The oldest cork oak tree is known as the Whistler tree and lives in southern Portugal. It's almost 240 years old and has been harvested a whopping 20 times. You might think that an older tree might produce less and less, but in 1991, this tree was harvested for a total haul of 1,200 kilograms or over 2,600 pounds of cork. That's more cork in one harvest than most trees produce in their entire life. What's interesting is that each time the cork is harvested, it regrows back slightly different. The cork of the first couple harvests is actually made of less quality material. It's often harder and less elastic than what is good for making bottle and cask stoppers. So this early harvest is more often used for flooring and insulating boards. But with every harvest, the cork gets stronger and more elastic, which is ideal for stoppers that need to be squeezed into narrow bottle openings for years. Here's a closer look into how specific products like wine corks are made. Your raw material is peeled off the tree in thick sheets. These sheets are boiled. The moisture helps remove impurities in the material and also expands it, which makes it easier to work with. Once the sheets are boiled, they are inspected for quality and sorted thusly. Bad sheets aren't necessarily thrown out. They are just used for products that don't require a lot of strength and elasticity, like those cheap boards you can pin photos to. Good quality sheets that are destined to be wine corks are cut into strips and run through a machine where a metal arm punches out the cylinders that we recognize as stoppers. These corks are then once again checked for quality, this time the bad eggs getting tossed, 
and the high quality ones are polished and are decorated with designs using ink that won't mess with the wine at all. For just about every other cork based product, the process is relatively similar, with the main differences just being what quality of material is used and what shape they are cut into. Cork as a material on its own easily makes these trees a valuable resource, but they go so far as to provide us with even more. When the trees are too old to produce cork anymore, their wood is harvested and used for lumber. When their leaves fall, they are collected and ground into mulch or fertilizer and the acorns are a great source of feed for domestic livestock. I know I've talked about how using cork is actually good for these ecosystem and this species, but I'm sorry, I've got bad news. These forests do face a threat, and that threat comes from cork wine stoppers going out of style. Metal screw tops used to indicate poor quality of wine, and may still to an extent for the layman. But they honestly don't, and you might notice that more and more wineries are using screw tops instead of corks. And despite cork being a renewable resource, that tin is starting to get cheaper and thus more favored. These trees can provide us with this resource for 200 years, and part of the reason why these forests are so heavily invested in is to protect that source of raw material. But a loss of cork demand means less money committed to protecting and nourishing these cork oak ecosystems. It is in no way in danger right now, let me be clear about that. But that danger is something that is foreseen with current economic trends in this industry. Ultimately, I find it hard to imagine these forests and this wonderful product fully disappearing. The cork oak is a source of national pride for places like Portugal. Many of the town and state seals throughout that country depict these trees as central imagery. Back in 2007, Portugal actually made a super cool series of stamps made from cork. I always love it when cultural pride is based around a tree. And this tree deserves such pride. It's just incredible. Aside from its Chinese cousin, this cork inner bark material is not a thing with the rest of the oak group. So next time you open a starboard bottle with a delightful, be sure to thank a tree. Last year, I had a lot of fun making a three-part mini-series about some of the most well-known fruit-producing trees. And in two weeks, I'll be starting another three-part mini-series about some of the most well-known nut trees. These trees come with a lot of controversy, as it's heavily debated over what can be considered a nut, and if nut milk is really milk. Join me on August 9th as I kick off this group of nutty forest dwellers with the almond tree. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at Boomerang Brit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees or on Instagram at Tree Podcast. And if you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now. Go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>